in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential. Jesus House for All Nations. This message has been recorded live at Jesus House for All Nations. God bless you. Praise God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for just the joy of family and of church. Thank you because your word, the entrance of it brings light. It illuminates our paths. It breaks yokes. It lifts burdens. It positions us for what you would do with us. And we are grateful for it, Heavenly Father. And so, Lord, speak to us out of your word, almighty and everlasting God, in Jesus' name. And together we say, Amen and Amen. Amen. Praise God. Um, if you want a title for this message, and it's a two-part message, I'll share part of it today, and I'll share part of it next week. Uh, the title is, Keep Shooting the Arrows. Uh, keep Shooting the Arrows. Uh, can you help me say that? Say it loud. Go on, say to the person on your left. Now say to the person on your right. Turn with me to, to 2 Kings, the 13th chapter. 2 Kings, the 13th chapter. I'm going to read verses 14 to 19. 2 Kings 13, 14 to 19. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot, and he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times then you would have struck Syria till you destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. A very interesting story. Um, this, this king, who was not a king to be commended for anything good, but in, in the midst of his depravity, he still understood the things of God to the extent that when the man of God was about to die, he rushes to the man of God, and he's distraught. He's actually crying. He's crying that the man of God is departing because he knew that, that the good things God had done in Israel, this man of God had a part to play in it. So as he cries, the man of God counsels him, encourages him, and tells him to get a bow and some arrows. And he gets a bow and some arrows. And he says to him, put your hand on the bow, prepare to shoot. And he puts his hand on it. The man of God rests his hand on his hand. And then says, open the east window, create an opening. And he opens it. And he says to him, shoot. And he shot. 
And he said to him this strange word, the arrow, this strange phrase, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. We'll talk a bit more about that next week. And then he said, take the arrows. So he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. Now, the first time I read this, I thought what he meant was strike the ground. Um, and I have thought so up till I did a bit more study. And I realized what he meant was strike the ground with the arrow. You know, shoot the arrow so that the arrow strikes the ground. And so he did that. He shot the arrow once, shot the arrow twice, shot the arrow the third time. It struck the ground three times and then he stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have continued. You should have continued shooting the arrow. You should have struck the ground five or six times and then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. We'll talk a bit more about that um, next week. But for this week, for this, for this Sunday, there are five things that I want us to take from this scripture. Five life lessons that we can take from this scripture. Life lessons that I hope will not just bless you, but challenge you. The Bible says, number one, first thing, that Elisha became sick with the illness of which he died. Now, uh, that's challenging for some of our theology. That this great man of God, um, who is put forward as the one, apart from Jesus in the Bible, through whom God had wrought more miracles than anyone. Uh, his forebear, Elijah, his mentor, Elijah, powerful man of God. When you count, apparently God had done 16 dramatic miracles through Elijah. But then when you count, apparently, with Elisha, God literally doubles it. 32 dramatic times that the power of God shows itself through Elisha. Now, you would have thought that like Elijah, maybe Elisha will go in a blaze of glory. The chariots will come and take Elijah. He wouldn't die this mundane death where after being dramatically used by God, the Bible tells us he became sick of the illness of which he died. And then a few verses later, circumstances even, even further creates confusion in our minds. The Bible tells us in verses 20 and 21 that after he had died and, and the burial party was going, um, there was a burial party. They, he died, he'd been buried in a tomb. The Moabites attacked the land and there was a burial party just going to bury some random person. And when the Moabites attacked, the burial party panicked. And in the panic, they threw the body of the person they were going to, they were going to bury. And the body landed on the bones of Elisha. The body came back to life because the anointing in the bones of Elisha, who died of illness, the anointing could not keep him alive, but the anointing could bring a man back to life. How many know that at some point we must accept our mortality and we must accept that there are certain things that we will not understand on this side of the earth. I'm amused when Sometimes from behind the pulpit, we, we attempt to explain all of God. If we could explain all of God, he would no longer be God. There are certain things that you and I just have to shake our heads and say, when we get to heaven, 
we will find out. But on this side of the earth, why does the man die of illness? Wasn't there enough power in his body to heal him? And he dies of illness. You put his bones in the ground. The body has started decomposing. The body's my mind. The body's useless. And they throw a dead man in. The dead man touches the body. And that dead man comes back to life, but he continues in death. How many know that there are certain things you will not understand on this side of the earth? And you know, part of what helps us in our walk is to understand that. The lesson we learn is that God is sovereign. There are things God does that he doesn't expect us to understand, but he expects us to trust him. It won't always add up. There will be times when we just don't get it. There will be some storms that we are wondering, why is this storm here? Sometimes curved balls will hit us and out of the blue and we can't explain it. It is kindergarten to imagine that we can explain everything away. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 29 verse 29, the secret things belong to God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So there will always be secret things that belong to God. He will never show his hand completely on this side of eternity. That's what makes him God. But he will reveal enough for us to live the life that he would have us live. He will reveal enough for us to live by his word. And so the responsibility on you and I is for the things that are revealed. Let's stop spending time trying to find out the secret things when we haven't dealt with the thing that has been revealed. And someone says to me, well, what has been revealed? For starters, he has revealed enough in his word. Before you look for another revelation, go through Genesis to Revelation. Finish that one first before you're trying to figure out the importance of the length of Aaron's beard. Read Exodus first and understand the Red Sea. Read Corinthians because that one he has revealed to us. And if he wants to reveal more from that one, that's the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. But let's be diligent in what he has revealed to us. Can someone say amen to that? Because the truth is that we thrive by the revelation of God we receive from his word. Amen? Number two, second thing. The scriptures we read tell us that Joash was distraught that Elisha was departing the earth. The king came down the king of Israel came down to him and wept, the Bible says, over his face. And in his weeping, he wailed, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. What was he saying? When you go, what is going to happen to us? You can't die at this time. You are the, you are the savior of Israel, the chariot of Israel and his horsemen. That's what that phrase means. If you go, Israel is exposed. His eyes were on him. He was dependent on him. What's the life lesson we learn? 
that God detests it when we depend on men. And you know why he detests it? I had an understanding this morning, a revelation. It's because it's a counter-religion to the truth of our faith. And it's interesting that it has crept into the church where people deify people in the church. They deify their pastors, their vicars, their bishops. They deify their overseers and general overseers and archbishops. You'd be amazed as to how, many, how people know more about those of us in this office than they know more about Jesus. If I said to someone that, don't worry, Jesus is interceding for you in heaven. Some people will say, I know, but you pray for me here on earth. I said, but Jesus is praying for you, it's okay. They said, no, no, leave Jesus, you pray. Because the focus is now on, on us. That's why some of us have become superstars. And nothing wrong with a large ministry. This is a fairly decent sized ministry. Nothing wrong with that. But God forbid that we should be in a place where we don't know that we must decrease so that Christ increases. And you know, it would be, it would be, it would be pardonable if it was just that this dependence of man was something that irritated God. But it's a bit more than that. And when I say man, of course, it's generic, man or woman. My Bible calls it the folly of not trusting God. That's the subtitle in my Bible. Because when we are in that place where we trust man or woman, it's not just an irritation to God. It attracts a curse. That's what makes it dangerous. And I can understand why it attracts a curse because it's an alternative religion. And the enemy is so subtle, so he gets into the church in all kinds of ways. So he thinks, well, you want to go to church? Well, let me create an idol for you in church. He just happens to be pastor so-and-so, but he's an idol. And so you go to worship, but the worship is really worshiping a man. The Bible says in Isaiah 30, 31 verse 1, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Every time we worship an idol, whether it's we idolize a, a human being or a thing, the Bible says the lot of that person can only be woe. It says in Jeremiah 17 verses 5 and 6, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. That's heavy. How many agree that's heavy? But it's God who is saying it. And do you know why God is saying it? Because one of the first things he said as his commandment, no other God before me, I'm a jealous God. And so when we deify man or woman, for the king Joash not to have known that all this deliverance has been God, not Elisha. Despite how God had obviously used Elisha. But the focus is not on Elisha. 
The focus is always on God. Let's cause correct and put our attention where our attention should be. Not on the men and women of God. We thank God for them as we will find out. Thank God for us. But let the attention be on God. Let's not trust in horses or chariots or in men or women. For God says, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Whose heart departs from the Lord. You see, when you make flesh your strength, there's a departing of your heart that takes place. All the religious paraphernalia might still exist. But in your heart where God checks, your heart has departed because you are trusting in that man or that woman. He says, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the patched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. It's a new religion that has come into the church now. And it's the religion of the worship of man or woman. It's crept into the Pentecostal church so that we end up worshiping people. We, we go to the altar of the worship of men. And it's all couched in all kinds of things. But when you search the hearts of people, it's the man or the woman that they're worshiping. And God detests that religion because it is competing with him. If you come every Sunday to Jesus' house and you can't say from Sunday to Sunday that what you're learning is more dependence on God, then you're in the wrong place and I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong thing. Because, please, I'm not a high priest. The high priest is Jesus. At best, I am a clear signpost to a direction, but not a destination. Does that make some sense? Amen. The third thing we learn is that God can use anyone. <laughs> Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. He spoke to Joash. It was about Joash. And so the Bible says he himself, Joash, took the bow and some arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. It was all about him. He was going to be the instrument. And so he put his hand on it, the Bible says, and then Elisha put his hands on his hands. But it was about that king, Joash. And when you understand Joash's history, you realize that there is a story here. Because if God was going to use anybody, it should not be Joash. Because Joash's history is one that should not even be talked about. The Bible says he did evil like his father and grandfather. He, he precipitated a war because of greed and because of just not listening to God between the two nations, the northern kingdom and the, and the southern kingdom. This is somebody who should be condemned. 
He was fueling apostasy. But then the lesson we learn is that God decides who he will use. He was unqualified, but God qualified him for that particular assignment. And does God not say, I will have mercy on whom I choose to have mercy? It's not a democratic decision. One of the, one of the kindergarten statements I hear from people is, I'm doing all this for God, I'm doing all this for God. But look at her. I know the kind of life she's living and see how God is blessing her. Hey, I'm not God. I don't know what, what they're working out with God. I don't know what his plans are for her. You see, this race, you can't run it with your eyes on somebody else's lane. You fix your eyes on your own lane, your destination. Because I don't know. I can't explain. I don't see the end from the beginning. I don't see in the, in the night. I can't look into people's homes. I, I don't understand what the person and God are working out. I don't know what the book, book says about them, their own book in heaven. I don't know the beginning from the end. The one I know is the one before me and the book and how it applies before me. Run your race. Stop looking at others. I love Tony who teaches us on finances. There's something she said which cracks Shola and I up. So everybody's looking at the Joneses and trying to copy the Joneses. They, they don't know the Joneses are broke. Everything is, everything is on higher purchase. The Joneses are. The chair that you're admiring, that's from Roche Beaubois, they haven't paid. They are paying eight, nine years. They are still going to pay it off. Everything is, you're admiring them. Everything is, this is the Western world. If you want a Lamborghini, you can get it. Just drive in. Put 2,000 pounds deposit. If you have, have 3,000 pounds to pay every month, you drive a Lamborghini, you bring it to church. You even ask me to bless it. A car that's not yours. Why are you asking me to bless a car that's not yours? Why are you wasting my time? At least respect yourself. You'll stay in the borrowed tin. You ask me to bless it. I come and bless the car and then they repossess it. Then, then you bring my anointing to nothing. Why, 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 why? Let's just understand that's the Western world. You wear, you wear Lobotone, Lobotone, Lobotone. Show us the credit card. 42,000 on this one. 32,000 on this one. 17,000 on this one. And you're wearing Lobotone. Well, you like the Lobotone, but you're hocked up, up to here. So don't look at the Joneses. You can, Tony said the Joneses are broke. Run your race. Face your front, as they say in Africa. Face your front. Looking at the Joneses, say their marriage is good, my own is bad. How do you know their marriage is so good? They fought all the way to church. Then when they got here, they held hands for you. You think holding hands is what shows the marriage is good? In the, in the car, they were fighting. See your mouth, see your mother's mouth, your father's head, your auntie's head like coconut, your own head, your whole family like apple. Then they got to church. Oh, hold my hand inside this church. And you are, you're following them. Run your race. Say to the person next to you, face your front. <laughs> it is God who qualifies. And he qualifies, God qualifies around his own purposes. So if God decides that I'm going to use this man, I'm going to use this man. So in God's wisdom, he had decided that this foolish Joash, who has caused all these problems, I need to use him to deal with Syria. Now, whether he's going to deal with Joash after, I don't know. But for Syria, I'm going to use him. So please don't let anybody disqualify you. 
If God has qualified you, no one can disqualify you. Thank God he doesn't call a committee, he doesn't call a commission, he doesn't vote. He says, I choose to have mercy on whom I choose to have mercy. And it's like God saying, I dare you to come and ask me why I chose to bless him. Number four. The kind of leader you should be looking for. The kind of person you should submit to. The kind of place you want to be in are where the leaders are guiding you. Elisha could have shot the arrow himself. Of course he could have. With all the anointing. But Elisha said, you put your hand on the bow. And what did he do? I'll put my hand on yours to guide you, to steady you, to encourage you. But you do the shooting. The alternative is where you have leaders that manipulate and control. Again, that is common in the church. There are whole ministries now that are built on manipulation and control. You know, and the stories become more bizarre. You climb the mountain. Seven angels appeared. The angels spoke to only you. So if you want to hear what the angel said, you have to come to me. I said, this doesn't sound like the gospel. The gospel is a gospel of whosoever. The curtain was torn in two so that Aaron will not hug. Aaron and, and Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's crew, Aaron's family, they were hugging it, Aaron's family. That's like, that sounds like the church today. One family wants to own the whole thing. Ah, this is the gospel of whosoever. Please move out of the way, all of us. That's why the curtain was torn in two, so that all of us, he said, come on. But Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and Eleazar, then there's a fourth son. They were the only ones. Every time we have to wait for Aaron, Aaron will go in. All of us are standing outside. Our hearts are beating. What will God say? We are just there praying for Aaron that he will come out. Aaron is inside. We don't know what's happening. We are waiting. We are sweating. Then Aaron comes out. We say, phew. And then what, Aaron, what did God say? Then next year we come back again. What kind of religion is that? So when Jesus died, Jesus said, this thing is for everybody. That curtain that only Aaron goes through, it was torn in two when he died to signify that whosoever, anybody who's ready to pay the price, anybody who will receive the, the gift of grace, anybody who will receive faith by, that is by grace can now come in to the throne room. That's why he says about people like us in Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. And he has appointed some, this is the, the Passion Translation. He has appointed some with grace to be apostles and some with grace to be prophets and some with grace to be evangelists and some with grace to be pastors and some with grace to be teachers. And their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. That's what we need to understand. That those of us who are in this five-fold ministry, whether it's apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, or pastors, it's because God has given us a grace to do it. That's why some of you look at what I do. And you wonder, how do you cope? 
Some of you hear a teaching that Baj gives, and you wonder, my God, how did he simplify it like that? Some of you, Kemi might speak a prophetic word, or might discern something God is doing, and you wonder, how did she do that? It's a grace. That's why I can pastor you. It's a grace, because some of you, I pitched the exam. Mm, it's true. But I pastor you, and I don't complain. Frankly, I enjoy it. But don't try it if you don't have the grace. Some people come up to me, you didn't ask for me. <laughs> ah. I want to say to them, did you ask for me? And how many people do you think I can ask for? That's why we have connect groups, because I cannot be asking for you. Go to your connect group. I said, are you part of a connect group? They say no. I said, then how will we ask for you? Thousands. I get people meet me at the airport. I'm sure you don't remember me. No, I don't. <laughs> don't ask me. Just tell me who you are. I don't remember you. How can I remember everybody? But you know, I never get offended. Grace kicks in. Say, oh no, I don't, I don't remember you. Say, your face looks familiar. I, I, I said, no, I don't remember you. Then say, oh, I'm so and so. I say, ah. Then they say, I, I say, oh, how are you? Oh, how are you? Everything okay? How's the, how's the family? Sometimes I say, can I pray for you? I bless you. And I go, it's grace, 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 grace. I'm in the grace of my office. It's grace. It's grace that holds my tongue. When I told you not to go right, you went right. Then you entered the ditch and you're phoning me at 2 a.m. to come and help you get Pastor Mark, Pastor Ayo, can save you from the ditch. Then I want to tell you that the bed you made on, you will lie on that bed. When the nails, as they say in Africa, choke your back a bit, then we'll come and take you. But I don't. I don't. Why do I do that? Because it's grace. I have the grace of a... I, I might not know what I am, but I know I'm a pastor. But it's grace. In the same way that those who are in the prophetic office is grace. They say to me, now you're an apostle. I hated that phrase, but I accept it now. It's grace. So the lesson we learn is that you cannot tap into or benefit from a grace you do not acknowledge, honor, and submit to. You see, it's the whole treasure in earth, earthen vessels. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. Why do some people not benefit Ayo, from some of the graces that are on your life? Some of the graces that are on some prophetic lives. Those are some prophets. Why don't they benefit? Because they are constantly looking at the clay. They are constantly looking at the earthen part of the vessel. And if you focus on the earthen part... You will not see the treasure. You will not acknowledge the treasure. You won't honor the treasure. You won't submit to the treasure. And you will not be blessed by the treasure. So I understand how that works. So if you take Pastor Denrele, for example, of course she's my spiritual daughter. Of course I can be doing Big Father, Big Pastor over her. No. 
I recognize the treasure in her. I honor the treasure. Even though I'm her father, I submit to the treasure. And because I do that, that treasure has blessed my life over and over and over. So many people cut off the blessing of the treasure because they are focused on the earthen. Is this not, is this not Pastor Ayo? Uh-uh. Don't we know when he came to Jesus' house? This one, they just give pastor, pastor anyhow in Jesus' house. He's now pastor. So you miss the treasure that is in his life that can be a blessing for you. And the whole idea is that the treasure in the fivefold ministry in a church prepares you for your own ministry, wherever that is. And every child of God is in ministry. You might not be doing it in church, but wherever God has planted you, you are in the ministry. We are all called to a, a ministry of reconciliation. We are reconciling the world back to God. And you can be working in the NHS and doing nothing in church, but that NHS is your, where your ministry of reconciliation should be at work. And that ministry is not equipped where you don't submit honor and tap into the treasures that are in those that God has put around you. Does this make some sense? And the last thing as we end. What we have as a New Testament church that Joash certainly did not have and even Elisha did not have the way we have it is that we have the Holy Spirit. Miles Monroe would say he's the most important person on earth and it is true. Jesus said in John 14, verses 18 to 20, this is Jesus understanding what's going to happen. He says, calm down. <laughs> I'm going. I have to go. It's part of the timetable. He says, but I will not leave you orphans. And I think that phrase, that particular description was chosen intentionally. I won't leave you without a father. I won't leave you without a guide. I won't leave you without help. I won't abandon you. He says, a little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. So I'm going. The world won't see me. I won't be here walking around physically anymore. Walking around, the world is seeing me. But I've got to go. It's part of the timetable that God has created. But when I go, Relax. I'm not going to leave you alone, abandon you, leave you to cope with life, leave you to deal with circumstances. No, 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 no. That's not the plan. The plan is that I will still be with you. You will see me. How will that happen, Jesus? He says, because I leave, you will leave also. And that day you will know that I am in my Father. You are in me and I am in you. That's the combination. So what's going to happen, Jesus? Well, I'm in my Father. And when you accept me as Lord and Savior, you are in me. And then when you accept me as Lord and Savior and you are in me, then I can be in you. Does that make some sense? And what was he describing 
in this, with, with this, this beautiful poetic language. He was simply describing the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Elisha didn't have the Holy Spirit in him. Powerful as he was. David didn't have the Holy Spirit in him. Abraham didn't have the Holy Spirit in him. Joshua fought many wars, but he did not have the Holy Spirit in him. That's the exclusive privilege of you and I as New Testament believers. That we have God in us. Can someone say amen? And if that's the case, then our whole life should be dedicated to how can I become the best friend of this person in me. An awareness should pervade our lives of the Spirit of God. We are not designed to do life any other way. Any other way can only end in frustration. That's why there are many frustrated Christians today. Because we are trying to do life our own way. And the way of the kingdom, Jesus said to them, Tarry, don't go anywhere. Don't try. You will be frustrated. I can imagine him saying that to us today. That <laughs> don't try this marriage without the Holy Spirit. Don't try the business without the Holy Spirit. Don't try to raise children without the Holy Spirit. Don't try the career without the Holy Spirit. Just wait until you are empowered by him. That's what he told them. He said, tarry. And then the Bible tells us in Acts 1 verse 8 that this now happened. He said to them, and this must have been what he was saying to them, but I promise you this, Passion Translation. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be seized with power. And then you can go ahead and take my message to the rest of the world. The Amplified Classic says it this way. You shall receive power. And you know what, what I love about the Amplified Classic? Because sometimes these words can seem religious. What is power? What does power have to do with working in the city? What does power have to do with trying to run a business? What does power have to do with being a, a, a homemaker? What does power have to do with ma being married to this woman that wants to drive me around the bed? What does, power, what does power have to do with still hoping and believing? for? What does power have to do with the 21st century London? So the Bible says this is what it has to do. That power, three words. Ability, efficiency, and might. So what was God saying? Your ability cannot make this thing happen. So wait until I give you supernatural ability. Can someone say amen? What was God trying to say? You will run from pillar to post. You will walk hard. What is it they say in Africa? You walk like an elephant, you eat like a rat. You walk hard, but there won't be the fruit. What was God trying to say? A time will come when your phone that should be a blessing, will become a principality. You'll be awake on social media when you shouldn't be. God, God saw the end from the beginning. You'll be distracted. So wait, God said, so that power as efficiency. See, he's not adding 
one more R to 24 for you. I know some of us think we can pray and be so anointed that God will give us 26 hours. Not going to happen. Sorry to disappoint you. Everything will be done in the 24 and you must sleep and do certain things that some of us will think are a waste of time. So what do we need? Efficiency. So that we maximize our, our output. It says our power will come upon you. And then he says, I will give you might. What is might? Strength. Durability. Staying power. So that when you look at someone and you're thinking, man, she went through that. And I saw her every day in church. And she looked okay. Yes, it's not natural. She had received power, might. When you have might, the storm comes and rages. But like the, uh, the, the, the palm tree, you sway in the wind, but you're never uprooted. That person has might. It's not natural. Because that category five storm uprooted every tree. But the palm tree was still standing. Because the storm might bend it a bit. And frankly, I think that it's not so much that the storm is bending it. I think that it is God that is bending the palm tree so that the storm flows over it. And when the storm goes, guess what happens? The palm tree snaps back. And it's almost like the palm tree is saying, I'm still standing. I'm still standing. I'm still standing. I went through it. But I am still standing. Is there somebody who testifies to that? I've gone through some stuff, but I am still standing. Are you at the, at the hub? You've gone through some stuff. Is that somebody's testimony? I've gone through stuff, but by God's grace, I am still standing. Like that palm tree, I will not be uprooted. Hallelujah. We thank you and we bless you. Come Holy Spirit. Two altar calls. Very quickly. If you haven't accepted him into your life, the spirit doesn't dwell in you. The spirit is not in you. Cannot be. It's when you accept him that the spirit comes into you. And so you're online at the hub. You're here at the base. And you want to accept him so that the spirit can come into you. If you're here in the base, slip, slip up your hands. If you're at the hub, slip up your hands. Online, um, on the screen, there have been instructions. You want to accept him into your life. That's the first starting point, first altar call. Anybody in here, slip your hand up. Once I see the hand, you can put it down. I want to accept him as Lord and Savior. I want his spirit to come and dwell in me. Hallelujah. Anybody here? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I see that hand at the back. Go on, slip it high, slip it high, slip it high. I'll need a minister to go up because I'm not calling people out. Go on, slip the hands high, please, wherever you are. Slip it high. Um, I need some ministers to move around, please. Slip it high. The ushers will point you to the people. Slip it high. And in the hub, the same thing. Um, Joseph and Kendi, you'll be doing the same thing there if anyone is slipping up their hands. Personal, personally minister to them. Go on, slip it high. We don't want to miss you. One of our pastors is going to come up to you wherever you are. 
Ushers will direct to that. If you're online, follow the instructions. Hallelujah. Now listen to this second altar call that the Lord wanted me to make. Somebody, you are in a storm. And prior to hearing about that palm tree that bent, that would bend, you felt like this storm is so intense, so severe, it could break me or uproot me. If you are in, in the base and you're that person, you might just be the one person that God laid this on my heart for. We're going to pray for the Spirit to come upon you and supernaturally lift you above that storm. Yeah? So if you're in the base, can you come forward? If you're in the hub, if you rise to your feet, and then Pastor, Pastor Joseph and Pastor Kende will, will ask you to come forward for them to pray, pray for you. If you're online, I join my prayer with the hosts as they begin to pray for you. I join my prayer with them. Come from wherever you are. You, you know, one second, let me tell you a bit about storms. One day I'll teach you about storms. There are, there are five categories of storms, yeah? Category one, two, three, four, five. And they are categorized by the speed, uh, the intensity of the storm. So a category five storm is the one that uproots houses and, and throws cars into the sea and, and, and just, you know, in my lifetime I've faced one, two, three category five storms in my lifetime. I mean, when you're in a category five storm, nobody needs to tell you. You, you know that if God does not show up. Category one storm is, I didn't pay my mortgage for two months. That's category one storm. So please, if you're in category one storm here in front, God will bless you and pay your mortgage. Go and sit down. That's not the one we're talking about. Category five storm. <laughs> when you are in a category five storm, the buildings are being uprooted. Trees are being uprooted. The intensity of it. Three times in my life, I've been in the category five storm. I want to pray for you. Father, we thank you. Um, at the hub, Pastor Joseph and Pastor Kendi with your team, if you pray for anybody, and then we're going to pray for you here. Please, can I have all the pastors? We're going to join our faith with them and just believe God that like the palm tree, they might be bending, but they will not be uprooted. And when the pastors pray for you, they, they, they probably will have a word for you. So listen out as God gives them a word for you. And same thing at the base. Hallelujah. Amen. Can we worship God? Just worship Him.